We're going to begin our reading at verse 27. Jesus has already appeared before the Sanhedrin. He has appeared before Pilate and Herod and then Pilate again. And he has given over the Jews to crucify him. Verse 27. We'll read through verse 49. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For, behold, the days are coming, in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren." and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? Those verses are our text. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and one the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots, and the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, And there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the middle. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, He glorified God, saying, Certainly 
this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. May God bless the reading and preaching of his word. We begin our pericope of Scripture this evening with Jesus going out of Jerusalem. At the beginning of the week, we heard how he came into Jerusalem, the king of the Jews. And now he's going forth in reproach. That is the counterpart of his entrance a few days before. He came as a king to save his people, to save them from their enemies and their sin. And just as the people cried out on that Palm Sunday, Hosanna, please save us, son of David the king of the Jews. Now over his cross, it is written, this is the king of the Jews. And as there was an excited crowd that followed him into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, now there is an excited crowd that follows him outside of the gates of the city. He goes there, bearing his cross, the cross that the Father had designed for him, properly speaking, our cross. Love takes it up, and obedience bears it as his own. And on Palm Sunday, he acted as the king who had the right of requisition. He says, go take this colt, and this donkey and its colt. And now the soldiers instead act with requisition. They say to Simon of Cyrene, come here and carry this man's cross. And beloved, could there be a more delightful position to be than that? Bearing Christ's cross after him. That's our calling, all of our life. The crowd is not silent. As they shouted on the first Palm Sunday in his entrance into the city, now they also cry out, mocking. They pour out their indignation at him. They feel no sympathy for this who was their king. No, nowhere there in that crowd is there any compassion. Listen, listen, all of a sudden there comes a cry, a voice of humanity breaks forth, women. Women who mourn and bewail him. In fact, they lament him so loudly that they're smiting their breasts and their lamentations drowned out the din of the multitude for a moment. 
we hear the weeping of the daughters of Jerusalem. It's my title, The Weeping of the Daughters of Jerusalem, The Daughters Weeping, Jesus' Rebuke of the Daughters, and thirdly, The Needed Repentance. It's not unusual that there would be a multitude of people present. It was a custom of that day to lead the condemned out of the city on the longest kind of route to make him example. Rome is in charge and Rome will dispatch those who deserve to die. And it's not unusual that there would be women there in the group also present and weeping. But now specifically, we read in the scripture, there were, while there were three who were bearing crosses, going to be nailed there, yet it's only one that the Lord indicates that these women were weeping for. They were weeping for Jesus. While his disciples had forsaken him, While there appears to be no one who really cares, here is a group of women who are sympathetic. How fervent they are, how emotional they are. Tears are draining down their face. They are crying that here is an innocent man being conducted to the place of execution. Weeping. Who are weeping? Jesus addresses them as daughters of Jerusalem. What does that little term mean there, daughters of Jerusalem? Or another way of saying that same phrase would be daughters of Zion. That is a term of endearment, usually. A term for the remnant, a term for the elect, the true sons and daughters of Abraham. Zephaniah 9, verse 9, which we quoted last Sunday, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Or earlier in Zephaniah, Zephaniah 3, verse 14, Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all thy heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Daughter of Jerusalem. Just had a little baby girl born recently, this past week, or a week ago. Psalm 144, verse 12, that our sons may be plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace. What a picture. But here, we know that we do not have the Marthas who are so busy feeding Jesus during his earthly ministry. Here we do not have the Mary Magdalene's that prepared him for his burial by washing his feet with her tears and anointing him with expensive perfume. 
We do not have the Marys who love to sit at his feet and listen to him. It's not those honorable women that followed Jesus during his ministry, nor are they just plain women, women that could, one could find anywhere in Judea or in Galilee or any other place in the world. They are called daughters of Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that stoneth the prophets and killeth those who are sent unto her. The Jerusalem that is apostate. And they are called daughters. Now why are they singled out over against the whole multitude there? Because they are the wombs that give birth to the generations. Generations that develop and increase in their sin. Earlier, one generation stoned and killed the messengers. And now when the king sends his own son, they plot and kill him and put him on a cross. These are the daughters that are weeping. And why are they weeping? Pity. Pity of an innocent man conducted to the place of execution. There's a sympathetic emotion. Oh, evidently well-meant lamentation. These are not silent tears, but we read bewailing and lamenting. Their voices break forth with loud wailing. And Jesus hears that lamentation. And Jesus stops and breaks his silence. What will he say to them? Will he say, thank you for taking pity upon me? No, as a second point, Jesus rebukes the daughters that are weeping. He rebukes them with a twofold rebuke. Weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Here is a voice crying out. Does he praise them that they recognize that this is wrong of these leaders? Does he take their cries to comfort himself as he took the cries of the multitude on Palm Sunday? Does he console them for the weeping? And the answer is no. Very sharp. He rejects it. He rebukes it. It is mistaken. It is useless. It is unprofitable weeping. You see, there is nothing in common with their tears, in common with the life of faith on which the eye of God is fixed. Oh yes, with emotion, lamenting the Lord's passion, irritated with a reckless race that could crucify such a good man, an innocent man that walked the earth. But notice, they do not pray and they do not say, O Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. You see, that doesn't occur to them at all. 
There is no contrite heart. There is no living faith in Christ Jesus, the mediator. Heartfelt sympathy with a man of sorrows. Fervent emotion at the sight of his cross. Tears wept and voices opened up. That innocent man is condemned. But he's not an innocent man, is he? He's not an innocent man going to the cross. Personally innocent, but standing as our representative. He is in the state of humiliation. That means he stands underneath the law and the judge condemned because he was bearing our sins. Beloved, Jesus reproves not only those daughters, but beloved, all those still today who have some kind of devotion to the cross that consists in a merely emotion, natural emotion, who look at the cross as a tragedy, who only have tears of pity and sentimentality. How much emotion today is caused by songs or passion plays or oratory as rejected? I was looking at one of the songs that came to my mind. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. You read through that whole hymn. It's filled with Sentimental feelings, I love, I'm going to cling to that cross. No, there went Jesus as our representative bearing our sins in order as the king to save us from them. And you and I must cling in heartfelt faith to him, not to an old rugged cross on a hill far away. pity, sentimentality. There are many different churches that have their Good Friday services not because they really believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior who's in heaven now, but simply because it feels good. It's a part of their past. Jesus says, weep not for me. Do you hear him? He forbids that kind of lamentation and condolences. For he is not some unfortunate person. He is not some weakling who is now just succumbing to a superior power over him. Whether it be persons, whether it be demonic, or whether it be circumstances. For if he wanted, he could stand in the moment in all of his power but purposely he lays down his life that he may take it back up again. He willingly bears his cross. He goes to the cross and dies there on the cross. Weep not for me. He immediately removes himself from the ranks of the wretched and the unfortunate of this world. I don't want your pity. God who is offered up is offering up himself. Oh, indeed, weeping is necessary. There is a time for weeping, and it surely was there, but not for Jesus. 
Two reasons. Number one, Jesus doesn't need their sympathy. If anyone has to show pity, it is Christ Jesus himself. And you'll hear it, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What he is going to suffer and what he is suffering, he's doing of his own will and his own choice so that it is proper then to rejoice and to shout for joy. Yes, O daughter of Zion, sing and shout. Your Redeemer has come. Second of all, Tears of pity are not those tears or expressions of conscious guilt and repentance. Those are the tears that are needed. These women did not know themselves and what then they are mourning about. They did not know the sin of Jerusalem, the sin of those who are called God's own people. They knew not Jesus himself, his person, and his work. They only saw one who had done no crime in the eyes of men. They did not see the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. They saw not the long-awaited Messiah, the Redeemer. And now my question comes to you and to myself tonight, do we? Yes, it's our tradition that we have a Good Friday service, Palm Sunday service, and Easter service. But do you recognize who it is that willingly went to the cross? Or as we read in Romans, God delivered him up on behalf in our place. Is the passion today on Good Friday the passion that it's our sins that sent him there to the cross? Is it the passion that the Son of God who knew no sin was made sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him? You see, to know only our sin without knowing Jesus would lead one to despair and to know only Jesus without knowing ourselves would lead to carnal security. Most assuredly, the glorified Lord need no lamentation for his own self. But he says, lament over yourself. It's the cry for repentance. That's what the John the Baptist was preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that is what Jesus Christ also preached. Sorrow for sin. No, the glorified Lamb of God doesn't need any lament for himself. But we need to lament, brothers and sisters, over ourselves. Repentance. Repentance. But now notice what Jesus says to them. Repent for yourselves and for your children. Not just their selves, but for their children. The children that they're carrying maybe in their arms right there. 
because Jesus remembers the cry of the multitude. Matthew chapter 27, verse 25. His blood be upon us and upon our children. His blood be upon us and our children. You see, it's those children, perhaps more than their mothers, would see the divine retribution and judgment for Jerusalem's sins. It's those children of those women that would see the destruction of Rome of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. No, that was not children suffering for their parents. But as we read in the second commandment, sin grows and develops in the families. The sins of the fathers to the children to the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me. So the fathers, they stoned the prophets. Now this generation is going to murder the son that is sent down to earth. And the next generation, after the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, in the light of the new dispensation, the enlightened gospel age, the preaching of the gospel, those children will persecute all those who name the name of Jesus Christ. And thus they make themselves more guilty when they walk in their sins than even the fathers were. Weep for yourselves and for your children. What a sharp rebuke that is. Jesus says, Behold, the days are coming. Days of judgment. Not just the very last day at the end of the world, but there is a judgment that was very imminent in that generation. Doom for these daughters and their children, the destruction of Jerusalem. Oh, of those daughters, Jesus says, they will call the barren blessed, the wombs that did not bear, The paps that never gave suck. Isn't that an interesting phrase there? They will call the barren beloved. Never, never before was that said. The barren woman was pitied. It was considered to be a curse not to be able to have children. But then, then those who have no children are considered better off than those with children. They will say to the mountains to fall upon them and the hills to cover them because they will desire to be annihilated. But there is no annihilation. Those who reject the Christ fall into the hands of an angry God. Weep for yourselves and for your children. And what a a warning we have then here today in our passage for the apostate church. For sin and heresy develop, don't they, as the world gets darker and darker in sin. And the apostate church first questions the creation account. 
Then they start questioning the resurrection. Is there a real resurrection? Or was just the mind of Jesus raised in the disciples' minds? There is the questioning of the virgin birth. There is the denial that Jesus is the only way to the Father, the only way of salvation. There is not annihilation for such rejection and unbelief. But it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the angry God. Oh, that multitude will cry in that day, fall upon us, cover us up. But the mountains and hills will not. Daughters of Jerusalem, wombs out of which the succeeding generations come. The reason for these wicked generations of the church to weep, misery will come upon them and they cannot escape it. If they do these things, Jesus says, to the green tree, what will happen to the dry tree? Jesus is using figurative language there. What is that green tree? The green tree is Christ Jesus and all those who are bound to him, living in him, all those united to him in faith. It is the church in the narrowest sense of the word according to the election of grace. Yes, they will be put on crosses. They will endure fire. There will be sorrow and suffering because like Simon, they take up Jesus' cross and follow him. If that's what happens to the green tree, what will happen to the dry tree? That is, those who come in contact with Christ Jesus and his cross as his enemy. Jew and Gentile, apostate Jerusalem, crucify the Christ. Dry root, dry wood are all the reprobate. Reprobates who come from believing parents, whether it be a Cain or whether it be an Esau. Greenwood doesn't burn very easily, rather it's purified. But dry wood, when cast into the fire of God's wrath, it will be consumed forever. Not annihilated, but consumed forever and ever and ever. At the cross of Jesus, let the wicked weep. May apostate Jerusalem's daughters weep for themselves and for their children. Beloved, what does this passage say to you and me tonight? Demanded of us on this Good Friday is our genuine repentance of our sins. Jesus stops there and he speaks. He would like to use and give a better application to the feelings and to the tears that he sees there being shed. Don't be filled with pity for Jesus, but be filled with repentance. See the sin of Jerusalem. 
see how you and I, by nature, all of us are guilty of that very act. It's not just Pilate. It's not just the soldiers. It's not the Pharisees and the leaders. It's not just the Jews. It's you and I also, by our sins, made necessary the cross of Jesus Christ. Our sins were put upon him, so they had to be delivered. He went to the cross. Repent. No presumption here. You see, those good people of Jerusalem thought that they were children of Abraham, that they had the temple services going on with the work of the Pharisees and the scribes in their midst. Everything was fine with them. Presumption. May there not be that presumption because your parents went to church, boys and girls, or older folks, or that you're members of the church, or that you're baptized. There are tares amongst the wheat. God's grace works in such a way that he shows us our sins and makes us sorry for them. And in the way of sorrow for sin and crying out in repentance for those sins, there's the joy of salvation. There's one who died for us. God gave us his only begotten son. Here we stand as the church of Jesus Christ, a small part of the universal church of Jesus Christ. But I want to put a couple questions to yourself and to myself. Do you personally know your own vile sins? Not only the things that you do or the things that you don't do that you ought to be doing, but do you know your own sinful nature that is at work in your members so that if left to yourself, you could do absolutely nothing good? Left to yourself, you could do nothing good. Do we, did I, teach my children their sins and their need for repentance? Not bragging to our kids or about our kids how good they are, how smart they are, how many things they do, but that they're sinners. Sinners who, apart from the blood of Jesus Christ, have no life. Do you not only know and confess your sins, but then do you know Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God in our human nature, going to the cross now, not as the innocent one, but going to the cross as the one who's carrying our sins, and therefore, under God's law, guilty who must die. The one who is willing, the one who obediently, he is a servant of Jehovah. He goes to the cross for your my salvation. So you see, appropriate devotion for us begins with lamenting over ourselves and judging and condemning and acknowledging ourselves as worthy of eternal death. And it's in the way of lamenting our sins 
that we do not need then to weep on Good Friday, but rather rejoice, O daughter of Zion, because we see our Savior, the very same Savior that came riding in Jerusalem as its king in order to suffer and die and defeat his and our enemies. Do you see the captain of your salvation? Not a poor, defeated man who can't do anything about his death, not at all. He set his face to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die for us because he knew that in the way of his obedience, God would raise him up on the third day and his kingdom would be established. Rejoice. Rejoice when you see your Savior walking on that way of sorrow to the Calvary. He's your Savior, and he's your Lord. Zephaniah 3, verse 14, Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all thy heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil anymore. Amen. Father in heaven, we're thankful for eyes of faith. That we are able to see things that these daughters of Jerusalem could not see and we would not see except by thy sovereign grace, thy electing love that gave us to Jesus Christ and in whom Christ Jesus now by his spirit and by his word leads us to himself irresistibly. We cannot help but fall in love with the captain of our salvation, the king, who has defeated his and our enemies there on the cross, and now who reigns and will reign forever and ever, and we will reign with him. Amen.